Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Hey, tonight at uh, 6 o'clock, we have our chapel service. I'm actually going to be preaching tonight. I'm going to be preaching out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. And because it's the Super Bowl, I'm going to do it in 3 minutes and 45 seconds. So... uh, uh, if you've not been to a chapel service, we invite you to come. Our chapel's on the back part of the property, and I uh, hope that you can be there. And we want to say hello to those who join us online. We are always are glad that you're with us as we study God's Word together. And today we are closing out our series on love like that. And we've talked about how to be mindful of each other, to <clears throat> be mindful of others and being aware of what they're going through and being sensitive to what's happening so that you might have opportunities to minister to them. We've also talked about how to be approachable by others, that you're willing to set aside your agenda, you're willing to, to set aside what you're doing at the moment in order to minister to other people. And then last week we talked about how to be a grace filled person so that we can share that grace with others. So we're graceful because of Jesus and his grace is in us. And so today I want to talk about that last step of learning to be bold that, you know, it's one thing to minister to someone, to care about them, to reach out and try to meet needs in their life. But sometimes there has to be that moment of boldness where you ask the hard questions where you make that confrontation. And uh, we're going to see some of that in the life of Jesus. We've been looking at his life through this whole series. And, and so the first one I want to share with you is in John chapter 2. There are several recordings throughout scripture of different times that Jesus went to the temple area and uh, he kind of cleaned house. And this is the first recording. This is near the beginning of his of, of his ministry. And uh, the, the last one, the last one that's recorded in scripture was uh, his last Passover uh, shortly before he was crucified. So in this particular event in John chapter 2, uh, it's the Passover of the Jews. Uh, Jews were to select a lamb and, uh, and to come to the temple area. If you were 12 years or older as a Jewish person, uh, a male, you were expected to be at the Passover. And the Passover is something that goes back to remember what happened to the Hebrew children in Egypt when God brought the different things upon them as judgment. And then the last one was the visitation of the angel of death that would come and kill the firstborn of, of every of the of Egyptian family, even including the livestock, the firstborn of all the livestock. And so the Jewish people were to take a lamb and sacrifice the lamb and take the blood from the sacrifice and cover the doorpost of their home. And then when the angel of death came over Egypt, he would pass over their place that they lived. And anybody that was inside that home and the angel of death passed over, they would be safe. And that's why it was called the Passover. And so as a remembrance of that and the sacrifice that was made, uh, they would have the Passover feast. It was one of the high marks of each year as they would come to Jerusalem. 
And, and it was always, scripture is always there to teach. Everything that God would have the people to do, it was to teach a lesson. And usually it was preparing them about the coming of the Messiah, the ultimate sacrifice. And so the sacrificial lamb, that's what Jesus was known as, is the sacrificial lamb. And, and so for Jesus to go to the Passover, it's, you know, it's a pretty surreal event that he goes knowing this is all about me. This is about what I'm going to do. This is to pre prepare and to teach the people that I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. You know, that had to be an overwhelming knowledge that Jesus as a human being had. And so rightly so, <clears throat> Jesus if you wanted to get him riled up, he was, he was going to get riled up about his father. I mean, he was, he was absolutely committed to God the Father. And so he comes to the Passover and he is, well, he just gets bold. And his boldness is out of his love for his father. And so let's read that in John chapter two, verse 13 and following. It was nearly time for the Passover, for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. Every Jewish person 12 years or older would go. In the temple area, that can sometimes be known as the Gentile area. Uh, so it's not in the temple itself, but it's this massive courtyard. And, uh, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. So this area was actually supposed to be kind of like where you would come and you're supposed to, it's supposed to be a place of prayer. It's supposed to be a place of remembrance. It's to prepare your hearts. It's to be close to the sacrifices that were taking place, knowing that inside this other building, right behind this curtain, was God himself in the Holy of Holies. I mean, this was to be a very sacred place for the people. And <clears throat> Jesus, when he saw all this, uh, he, he, made a, some, he took some ropes, made a whip, and he chased them out of the temple. He, he drove out the sheep and the cattle. He started a little stampede is what he did. And he scattered the money changers' coins over the floor and, uh, and turned over their tables. So he, he was very aggressive. He was bold. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house, my father's. He was taking sonship. He was declaring who he was in that statement. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. You see, here's, here's the picture of what's happening. People come from all over. And uh, the Passover became a very, it was a very sacred thing. But then it became basically a catalyst for other things. So people would use the Passover as a reason to go to Jerusalem and they would get their little rituals out of the way, but then they would go and kind of what the real reason they would go. It's kind of like when they have the Southern Baptist Convention in Orlando. 
You go to the meetings, but then the real reason you go is to go to the theme parks. And, and so they would be there to go to the marketplace, you know, go shopping in all the super malls around there and maybe buy goods to take back to their place to sell and, and uh, to see friends from other places. <clears throat> you know, it kind of lost its meaning. And they even lost the personal aspect of what the sacrifice was all about. So in Egypt, they were told to take their, their little lamb. And a lot of times lambs kind of become, became household pets. You know, just a cute little lamb and, you know, becomes a little pet for the kids. And, and so instead of bringing something that was precious, something that they had an emotional attachment to, because God wanted them to feel these emotions of bringing something that was dear to the family, kind of like the household pet, and to bring that for the sacrifice so that they would feel the enormity of what was happening. I mean, he was showing them, I'm going to sacrifice my only son. I want you to be able to connect with that. But it became very impersonal. They would just show up and uh, they could go, you know, buy whatever animal they would buy and no emotional attachment to the animal whatsoever. And then they would give that animal to be sacrificed. No guilt, no emotions, just ritual. Sometimes church can become like that. No emotions, just rituals. You go and you just have church. And then, you know, you do the stuff you really want to do. Hang out with your friends and, you know, go have a meal together and spend time together. I mean, he was attacking. They, they had taken something very sacred. And, and so it's, it's like Jesus was saying, you're, you're dishonoring my father's house and I mean, this is me that's being represented here. I'm the one who's come to be the sacrifice. But I want to tell you, you know, you, um, no matter what the circumstances, there's always those unscrupulous people who will find a way to try to make a dollar off of it. And you know how you're always being warned about scams. Well, is there always, there's always somebody out there that's figured out a way to make a buck off of you. And so these religious guys, these market people, even the priests got in on the action. They said, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's start providing sacrifices and we can make, you know, we can make some money. And they had to pay a temple tax. If you were 20 years old or older, male, you had to pay a temple tax. But it had to be a specific coin. It was a coin that was some of the purest silver that was available. And it had to be that coin. So you had to go buy one of those coins. And, uh, and if you had foreign money, if you were from certain districts and had a different coinage or type of money, you had to go and exchange the money 
for currency there in Jerusalem, then go buy your offering and then uh, your sacrifice and then go buy your temple coin. And they always charged a hefty little service fee. So you see, they, they found multiple ways to scam people. They're going to get you on the money exchange. They're going to get you on the purchase. And then if you did bring your own animal, say you did bring that household animal, they had to inspect it. And if they found any kind of blemish, if the priest there found any kind of blemish, they said, oh, I'm sorry, this, this animal is just not acceptable. But I tell you what, I've, I've got one over here that's already been ex- examined and it is acceptable. So, um, you know, I, we'll keep this one, but you take that one, you pay us a fee and we'll exchange with you. Now, it's not written, but just knowing how the human mind works, I bet you the animal that was rejected was sold to somebody else later as an acceptable sacrifice. What a scam. And the people probably knew it and didn't care. They were just getting it, getting their little spiritual check mark off their report card. Did you do your sacrifice this year? Yep, got it done. Pay your temple tax. Yep, of course. And they thought they were okay because they got their check marks on their report card. And Jesus said, you've turned this into a den of thieves. You're stealing. You're taking advantage of a system. A system that's very sacred, a a ritual that's very important because it's teaching you about the sacrificial lamb that's yet to come. And you don't even recognize him when he has shown up, the Messiah. Later in another gospel, in another cleansing of the temple, we uh, find these words in Luke chapter 19. It says, then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals and sacrifices. And he said, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Wow. A house of prayer that's become a den of thieves. When the holiness of God and the true worship God was at stake, Jesus would take fast action and he would get bold. He not only drove the men out, he drove the animals out. And even though his physical action was forceful, it was not cruel. Because he was trying to teach them something. He was trying to say to them, you guys missed the whole point. This is a place of prayer and worship. But I mean, one of the things he even dealt with is that people would use the courtyard to kind of take a shortcut 
they were on this side of the temple and they needed to get way down on another side of the temple or they could just take a shortcut right through the temple. And it was, not, it was never meant for that. It, it was meant to be a sacred place. It was meant to be a place where prayers were going on. And, um, but these marketeers decided, hey, we'll just set up right there where all the action is. Make it easy on people. And Jesus always, when it came to the holiness of his father, was very protective. And so should we. We should care about such things. We should be bold about such things. You know, I um, believe that God's holiness demands holiness in our worship. We're told to be holy because he is holy. How can that be possible? Well, who lives in you? The Holy Spirit. You're holy because he is holy. You're holy because of his presence. You're holy because you've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. The sacrificial lamb came for you. There was another time that Jesus was bold. And I want you to see this interaction in a different light because I believe it will show you how you can be bold. You know the story of the woman at the well at the Samaritan woman. And Jesus and his disciples were passing through that area. And Jesus sent his disciples on ahead into the town to get some food to eat. And so Jesus was by the well, which was outside the city. And a woman came at noontime to draw water, which told you right up front, she was a different kind of person because Women always traveled together. They would travel in the morning, not in the heat of the day. And so she obviously was ostracized. And, and so she came and Jesus asked her to give him some water. And she immediately, you know, it was just a simple conversation. He just started a simple conversation. And she became very curious about that because a, a man didn't talk to a woman like that. And a Jew didn't talk to a Samaritan like that. And especially a male Jew talking to a Samaritan woman. I mean, that was breaking a lot of protocol. So she was really curious about this guy talking to her, a Jewish guy. And so they started this conversation and out of her curiosity, they began to have some communication. And they started talking some theology and started talking about the different wells and the different kinds of water. And Jesus, in the, his communication, began to tell her about a water that he had. He said, if you really knew who I was, who was talking to you, you would be asking a drink of me because I have this living water and you drink of that and you'll never thirst again. Now, her mind was thinking of a physical thing. But Jesus was talking about a spiritual thing. But that conversation that elicited a curiosity out of her that became some deeper communication took to some craving. She had a craving for this water. 
And, and here's where we pick up the story in John chapter four, verse 15. Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I, I won't have to come to get water. So she really didn't understand what he was talking about. Now here comes the confrontation. You know, they just were having a simple conversation and she became curious and then it became some deeper communication and she started craving and then it becomes a confrontation. Go get your husband. I don't, I don't, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You don't have a husband. But the truth be known, you, you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now, you're not even legally married. You certainly spoke the truth, though, when you said you have no husband. Man, that was some pretty serious confrontation, wasn't it? I mean, he got right down to it. <laughs> but he had led up to that. She was, she was confronted. And because of that confrontation, she made a commitment. And then she ran back home. And all those people that wouldn't talk to her, she made sure they talked to her now. The people that would avoid her because of that being that kind, she got in their face and said, you've got to come to the well. You've got to meet this man who told, told me everything about me. He had no way of knowing, but he knew me. You've got to come see the Messiah. And of course, the town came out. And they didn't believe, they came out because of her statements, but they didn't believe in Jesus because of her statements. They believed in Jesus because of his statements. And they even begged him to stay for a couple of days and teach them. And he did. And, and he stayed for two days and, and many became followers because Jesus decided to be bold with the person. But he led up to that boldness with kindness, simple conversation that eventually led to that direct confrontation. That's kind of how we need to be in our boldness. That we just talk to people. We talk to them about things that don't have any consequences to it. Who you rooting for with a football game and what do you think about that commercial and you know, just conversation. And then as you develop a friendship, you go into deeper communication. You talk about deeper stuff, things of significance, about life, about family, about marriage. But at some point, there has to be that confrontational question. What are you going to do about Jesus? You know I'm a person of faith. I've told you that. You know about what I believe. I've, we've talked about it. So my question to you now 
is what are you going to do about Jesus? You see, when you start off with that, when you start off and just get in some stranger's face about Jesus, you're, you're probably asking them to commit to something they're not even curious about. And that's why it won't work. But when you take the time to be close to someone, allow them to see you up close and you build a relationship and they begin to realize, boy, this person's the real deal. Uh, there's something different about this person. There's something different about their marriage. You know, they face the same kind of problems we have, but yet they seem to handle it different. They face the same issues we have, but they seem to, they seem at peace. They seem to be joyful. Even though they go through the same struggles, what's different? So at some point, there has to be that confrontational question. What are you going to do about Jesus? Ask God to give you that boldness. To be able to have that question asked and to be able to, well, to be approachable. Be approachable by people, build a relationship, uh, that you are willing to be aware and mindful of those around you, and, and that you're a grace-filled up person, a graceful person, that you're just willing to be real around them, and you don't have to try to pretend like you're some spiritual giant that you're not. Just be real around them. And then, then... You ask the Holy Spirit, you say, when it's time to give me boldness, will you give it to me? When it's time for me to ask the hard question, will you give me that boldness that I need? So you take that cursed person from a curiosity to a commitment. Learn to love like that. Let that be the ultimate goal. You can build all the friends that you want, but if you don't have that last conversation, have you really been a friend at all? Let's pray.